Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Unstuck. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. So, Unstuck, part two. You ever felt like that, like you're just trapped? Have you ever seen the money pit? All right. Well, it's uh, not ironic at all. It's actually intentional because today we're actually going to talk a little bit about being stuck financially. What what do you need to do to get unstuck in your finances? As we said last week, we're actually talking about Elisha for several weeks. Last week we uh, went through the story uh, where Elisha's real first assignment that he's standing before the king, actually several kings, three kings, and basically he tells him to make this valley full of ditches. He said, you're going to dig the ditches in your life to get unstuck. Today, we're going to go to the next chapter, 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, don't worry. We'll put the scriptures up on the, the slides on the screens. And if you have a, a smartphone or tablet with you, you can also follow along at version. You have the Bible app. Just uh, open it up, click live, search for vertical, and you'll find us there. This morning, uh, we're talking about getting unstuck in our, in our finances, really talking to two groups of people in the auditorium. And the first group is, is a group that you're living in lack. You're living in a, in a place that you don't have enough supply you don't have enough resources to do what it is that, that God is, is calling you to do. You don't feel like you have enough. And honestly, this is, this is our primary audience. This is, this is the main kind of group that I'm going to spend most of the time talking to this morning. Your finances, your resources just feel stuck. And your life feels stuck because of it. You never really... Get beyond that. It's always weighing on your mind. It's always the, the stress that is just unnamed but always there. It's kind of the source of all of your, your marital conflict. It's the source of all your frustration. If you could just get unstuck in that area of your life, maybe things would go a lot smoother. But there's a second group of people. The second group of people that I want to talk to you at the very end. And you're you're not in a situation where you don't have enough finances. Matter of fact, you're kind of good. You're kind of set. You feel stable and secure. But you have a need, you have a lack in your life that money can't take care of. You have a lack that money can't buy your way out of. Because let's face it, sometimes we have a lack of things in our life that money can't fix. Money can't buy your way out of depression. The lack of joy. And money can't fix that. Money can't buy your kids' hearts and their affection towards you. You can give them every, all the material things in the world, but it, it will never give them or give you their heart. Money, money can't buy your healing. Money can't buy your joy. Money can't buy a good marriage. There are places in our life that we experience lack that's not a financial issue. And so what does, what does Jesus have to say to us about those areas in our life? 
We're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And I'm actually going to go ahead and read verse 8. And verse 8 is the, the verse that we'll get to, time permitting, uh, kind of the sequel to the story that we're going to focus on this morning. So here we go, 2 Kings chapter 4, talking about Elisha, the master of getting people unstuck. Verse 1, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Verse 8, time permitting, goes like this. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence that has been here with us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege it is to know him and to make him known. And God, we thank you that if there is anyone in our auditorium this morning that does not have a relationship with you, does not have a a life-transforming moment where they encountered you that that can all change today. Lord, may we see Jesus high and lifted up, exalted, and by seeing him, may our lives be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to share four thoughts with you about this passage of Scripture. Now, these are not steps. I'm not trying to give you the Four steps to financial freedom in your life. I'm not promising you that if you take notes and write down these four steps and, or four thoughts and apply them, that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and, bam, you're going to have a million dollars in your bank account. I'm not promising that. I can't promise that. Matter of fact, if somebody does promise that, then you need to turn and run the other way. Anybody on TV or uh, any, anybody trying to sell you something that's basically a bag of magic beans? You know, do this and everything will be great. You'll be fine. They're lying to you. You know, I won't, I won't go any further than that. But uh, these are just some thoughts that if you're in a place of lack, some ideas and thoughts that can get you unstuck. And I believe if you, um, if you take these to heart that, that God can, will perform the miraculous in your life. And the first one, you may actually laugh at. Because it's, um, it, it's not that complicated. It's, not, it's very, very simple. The first thing that I see in this story, the first thought that I have to get unstuck in a place of lack, the first thing you need to do is you got to go to God. you got to go to God. Like I said, I, 
I imagine you're, if you're sarcastic like me, you're sitting there saying, thanks, Captain Obvious. You mean I got up out of bed, cold outside, got dressed, got in my car and drove here for you to tell me, go to God. That's what, that's, seriously? I could have, I mean, that's just so obvious. Yeah, it's obvious, but it's not, it's not any less real. It's not any less true. You see, this, this widow woman, listen to what she does. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha, at this time, is the representative of God. He is the, the head prophet of all the prophets. He is he's the, the man, and she goes directly to him. She says, listen, man of God, prophet, pastor, my husband is dead. My husband was a prophet. That's what, what the phrase, the wife of a man from the company of prophets, her husband was a prophet. She goes to the, the head prophet, the, the lead prophet, and she says, look, my husband's dead. Our life insurance isn't adequate to pay the bills. The pension plan that you set up is not cutting it. We're out of money. We're in, we're in debt up to our eyeballs and and the creditors are calling and they're going to they're going to take away my boys. You see, her situation was bad. She lost her husband. That's, that's bad. I mean, if anybody has lost a spouse, you know that is not that is a, a terrible time in your life full of grief and, and pain and sorrow. But her situation goes from bad to worse because she's in bad. Her husband's dead. But it gets worse. The creditors show up and knock on the door and say, we want our money or we're taking your boys and we're selling them into slavery. Her situation is not just bad. It's terrible. And the reality of it is she had every reason in the world. In the middle of all that to look at God and say, God, this ain't right. We're good people. We're good people. We're, my husband was a prophet. We never missed Church. We were there every Sunday. I was a volunteer for as long as I can remember. We're good people, God. Why are you letting this happen to us? She could have turned and run away. She could have said, I'm tired of this. I've lived my life, and this is the kind of thanks that I get. I've lived my life for you, and this is the kind of gratitude you show me. My husband gave his entire life for you, God. And now when he's gone, you're just going to turn your back on us? She could have turned and run away. Maybe this morning you can turn and run away. Maybe you have turned and run away. Maybe you've experienced lack in your life and you've decided to try to solve this problem not by going to God, but by going to the world's way of handling it. You see, in this situation, the world's way of handling lack is to typically to, to grab the credit card and max it out to buy stuff that you don't really need uh, to you know, impress people that you don't like anyway. You might be in a situation where you can't afford the mortgage in your home, but the reality of it is your home could actually house two or three times more people than they're actually living in it. You bought too big. What do you do now? And that's the world's way. Get what you can get. 
Get all you can get and get it right now. You deserve every ounce of every blessing that you could ever receive. Anything that you could buy or buy on credit, you deserve. You deserve it. You work hard. That's the way the world works. And so she has this decision to make. Is she going to go to God, do it his way, or is she going to go to the world's way of living? And we kind of have that same decision to make. When we find ourselves in a place of lack, are we going to continue down the road that leads to destruction? Are we going to continue down the road that got us in the shape we were in in the first place? Or are we going to turn and go to God? Are we going to cry out to God? You might be saying, Pastor Josh, you don't, you don't know my situation. I am a good person and I haven't really done that. I haven't really done anything wrong. Neither should she. It didn't say that she, her husband died and she went on some kind of crazy spree. It said that they were wasteful. It just simply says the creditors are calling. They're ready to sell their two sons. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong, but here's the catch. Your situation might be bad. Maybe you lost a home. Maybe you had a home foreclosed upon you. It's not this bad. It's, it might be bad. But it's not they're knocking on your door, not just to collect money, but they're knocking on your door because they're going to take your babies from you and sell them as property to somebody else if you don't pay up. It's not that bad. I mean, I've been in bad situations, but I've never been in that bad. Nobody's ever showed up and said, uh, pay us or we're going to take your kid and sell them. So this lady's got problems. This lady's got a situation here. And so she turns and goes to God. The second thing I think she does that we see in this story, the second thought that I have that if you're in a place of lack that you go to God, you also got to face your reality. You got to confront your circumstances. You got to quit lying. Quit hiding from the truth. This woman provides embarrassing details about her life. Can you imagine how humbling and embarrassing it is to go to the CEO prophet, the, the president of the prophet organization, and say, Elisha, my husband was a prophet, and now he's gone, and we got nothing. We, we have nothing. In fact, we have so nothing that they're about to sell our kids into slavery, and I'm going to lose them forever. We got nothing. Zilch. That's embarrassing to admit that. No. To accept that reality. To face up to the circumstances of your life. But here's the catch. If you don't do that, if you, if you continue to live in fantasy land, like everything's okay, and if I just kind of ignore it, it'll go away. Guess what? It doesn't go away. Ignoring it doesn't help. It's still there. And you might have the big pink elephant in the room that's kind of situated over in the corner that nobody talks about and nobody looks at, but it's still there. And you can ignore it all you want, but it's not going to make it go away. See, this woman is keenly aware of her situation. She knows exactly what's at stake. If she ignores this problem, if she ignores this debt that she has, her kids are going to go. She knows exactly the situation she's in. And what's, what's funny is I haven't had a ton of 
counseling experience. Uh, I haven't had a ton of counseling classes. I've had a few. I know a couple of things. Um, I've had some sit-downs with people where we try to work through things, just kind of talking. Um, but one thing that I have realized, especially kind of reading marriage books and, and, and books about interpersonal relationships between men and women, women, this is not a, this is not a slide on anybody, women, when they tell you their problems, they're not always looking for a solution. Amen. amen. Can I get a high-pitched amen? Amen. Man, I've learned this the hard way. It's not, it's not book knowledge. Because I'm a, I'm a guy, I want to fix it. You tell me a problem, whether it, if it's like a mechanical problem, I'm not your guy. I can empathize on that. Yeah, it's broken. <laughs> Kick it. I don't know. <laughs> the fire. But if it's like an emotional problem or something like you're, you're dealing with something, you know, I try to get involved and I try to, I try to fix it. Elisha, he's worse than me. He's a terrible counselor. Listen, listen to what he does. She says, she, she kind of lays it out there before him and she's broken and crying out. And Elisha replies to her in verse two, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? He's like, he's abrupt and, and harsh and just straight to the point. He doesn't even ask her if he can pray for her. That's what a pastor's supposed to do. Pastor, you know, bill collectors are calling and, and we're going to lose our home. Yeah, I really feel for you. I tell you what, let's pray. Elisha doesn't even do that. He doesn't even offer to pray for her. He goes straight to action. What do you have in your house? He's nosy. He's trying to stick his nose in it. It's like, it's like a single mom comes up and says, uh, hey, pastor, um, you know, really in a, in a real financial pinch. That would be like me saying, okay, let me see your pay stub. Let's log on to your online banking right now and see what's in there. Let me see how you've been spending that money. That's nosy and straight to action and, and abrupt and, and rude. And, and he doesn't even try to empathize with her. He doesn't even say, sorry, you're going through that tough time. I mean, that's cold. That's cold. How, how can I help you? What do you have in your that's just, it's just rude. And, and he doesn't even spend one moment trying to answer why. He doesn't spend one moment trying to figure out why she's in the shape that she's in. He goes straight to action. And the reality of it is her response is pretty typical of what most of us would say. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little olive oil. I got nothing, Elisha. Nothing. Except, well, I, okay, I don't actually have nothing. You see, here's what facing your reality does for you. Because Elisha wants her to face her reality because it's not as hopeless as you think it is. It's not as hopeless as it seems. When you're in a place of lack in your life, things look a lot worse than they really are. When you're experiencing lack, everything goes to the extreme. You have nothing. You ever experienced this? I do this all the time. I go to my pantry 
to get something to eat for lunch. And like I open the doors and the food's almost falling out on top of me, okay? But I'm looking around and I say, there's nothing here to eat. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You open the fridge and there's like, you know, you got, you got ham and turkey and you got different things, all sorts of different things you can eat. You're looking in there and you're, we got nothing. Well, I just went to the store yesterday. We got stuff to make sandwiches and stuff to make salad and stuff. Well, I don't want any of that. We got nothing. And that's what lack does to you. Lack, lack is a filter on your eyes to make you see your situation worse than it really is, which leads us into thought number three. Thought number three is this. Not only do you need to go to God, face your reality, you got to get your perspective in check. What this lady is suffering from is what um, many people call automatic negative thinking syndrome. Ants, for short. They say you got ants on your brain. Automatic negative thinking. You know what I like to call it? Eeyore. Maybe watch Winnie the Pooh. Everything's wrong. Nothing's good. Nothing's right. Everything that could happen that's bad is going to happen to me. If you're not familiar with Winnie the Pooh, if you watch Saturday Night Live, it's Debbie Downer Syndrome. This is what this woman is suffering from. Wah, 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 you know? Everything is bad. Automatically, the first thought you have is bad. What do you have in your house? Nothing. I got nothing. Well, except way back in the back of the pantry, dust on it. Wouldn't be interested. I got a little bit of olive oil. I have nothing. Except that. See, the enemy's strategy in our lives is to get us focused on what we don't have, what we used to have, or what someone else has that we really wish we had. It's what the enemy tries to do in your life. You need to focus on different things. But instead of looking in your house, metaphorical house, to identify what you don't have, why don't you ask God what you can do with what you do have. I imagine Elisha asked her and she says, maybe you didn't hear me. I said I have nothing. Don't you think, Elisha, if I had something stuck away in the garage or I had something in a closet somewhere, I would have already hawked that thing on eBay. Don't you think I've gone through my house and cleared out everything and sold everything? If you didn't hear me, I have nothing at all except a little bit of oil. And I would say to you, if you have that feeling, I would say to you that all God needs to work miracles in your life is all you have. Whatever you have, your exception, your whatever you got left. Is all God requires to work a miracle in your life. Like how it goes on in verses 3 and 4. Elisha tells her, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. Did you catch? There's no oil yet. But Elisha's talking about jars for oil that doesn't exist. The oil's not there yet. But he's telling her, 
Get ready. Get some jars. Get something that will contain the oil and have it ready. You see, sometimes in our lives we ask for provision in life. But God has a way of holding it back until our perspective gets adjusted. God, will, God oftentimes holds back fulfilling that because our perspective needs tweaked. See, God can do exceptional things through your exception. Well, God, I would really do that except. God, I would, I would really pursue that call in my life except there's this. God, I would really give more except I've got these bills. God, I would, really, I would really invite someone to church except I'm a little shy. God, I would really, I would really step out and, and volunteer except I don't really have enough time. God can do exceptional things through your exception. Number four, last thought. Kind of what do you do when you're in a place of lack. Go to God. Face your reality. Get your perspective in check. And I think it comes down to this. you got to activate your faith. Now put in parentheses, you got to make a plan. You have to activate your faith. Verses 5 through 7. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring another one. He replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. See, there comes a point in life, in a struggle or, or, or whatever you're going through, when you're in a place of lack, when the only thing left to do is action. Is action. Because here's the reality. Only God can, make, can give the oil. Only God can provide the oil. But we can supply the jars. Only God can do the miraculous. Only God can make oil not stop flowing until the jar is finished up. But we can supply the jar for the oil. I imagine that this lady went around. Because I really love how Elisha says, don't ask for just a few. Ask for a lot. I bet that woman went around to every neighbor she had knocking on their door. And when they wouldn't answer the door, I bet she came back later and knocked again. Do you have any jars? Do you have any empty jars? Yeah, that sounds kind of crazy. I bet she was embarrassed. I bet she walked up to the first door and thought, oh, Lord, I'm crazy. This ain't going to work. But you got to do something. But she felt stupid. Well, she felt like an idiot. I bet when she went home and her living room is full of jars everywhere, she's thinking, I hope nobody comes in right now because this looks like a fool's house. Do you notice how specific the instructions were to her? Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. Don't get the jars mixed up. You got to make a plan. You have a plan place. You want God to do the miraculous for you. You want God to provide the oil. You can provide the jar. Last week we said if you want to get unstuck, 
dig a ditch. This week, if you want to get unstuck, grab a jar. Grab an empty jar. Grab an empty jar. You know, this woman is in a desperate situation in her life. She doesn't figure this out. If she doesn't have a solution, if she doesn't have help, her sons are going to be sold. But desperation has a, has a funny way of motivating us out of complacency. When you're stuck and you're desperate, it's not crazy to run around asking people for empty jars. Like I said, I love how he tells her, don't ask for just a few. Sometimes I think we think too small. I think we think too small. And I think one of the failures of our lives is we don't think big enough. We gotta think bigger. Elisha says, don't ask for just a few. Get as many jars as you can find. Think bigger. And I would tell us as a church, it's time for us to start grabbing some jars. It's time for us as a church to get ready. We need to find more jars. I believe wholeheartedly that God is about to pour out his oil among us and do the miraculous. But the question we have to answer is, do we have the jars ready? I believe we need to find more jars. We need to find more volunteers. We need... I believe in not, the not-too-distant future, we need parking lot attendants and more greeters and more kids workers and more uh, hosts to, to welcome people, more musicians, uh, more, more prayer team members, more jars to contain the oil that God wants to pour out. We've got to find more jars. We've got to find more jars. Verse 8. It's only 1140. We've got time. Here we go, verse 8, because this is, this is like the sequel. This is so cool. I mean, if you don't think the Bible's cool, the way it arranges stories and puts things right next to each other, this is it right here. This, should, this blows my mind. Verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. We'll read a few more. We, we don't have slides for this. You just got to listen to me. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day Elisha came. He went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. She said, I've got enough. I'm blessed. I don't need anything. I have enough. This is a wealthy woman. This is a well-to-do family. They're not struggling. They're not like the widow. Creditors aren't calling them. They don't have any debt. They don't have any perceived lack. Verse 14, what can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. You see, the 
first group of people or they're lacking in their life because they don't feel like they have the resources necessary to do what it is God has called them to do. Financially, talent-wise, you just you feel like you don't have what it takes. You don't, you don't have what it takes to live a stress-free life because you don't have the right financial situation in place. But right next to the story about the widow who doesn't have enough, We've got a story about a wealthy woman who has more than enough, but she doesn't have the thing money can't buy. She doesn't have a son. And some of you don't need a financial miracle to get you unstuck from the lack that you find yourself in. You need a different kind of miracle. You need a miracle that, that finances and, and money can't provide. There's something that's been in your heart for years that you haven't given birth to yet. You've wanted it so long that you've really given up asking. You've been asking for so long that now that I tell you to get ready because the one who provides the oil is the same one who can provide the the means necessary to get you out of your stuck situation, you get a little nervous because you say, like this woman said, don't mislead me. I've, I've heard that line before. Please, please don't. Take note that this wealthy woman built for Elisha a room. She made a room in her house for the man of God. And I would say to you, if you find yourself in that position, Financially, you're set. You need nothing. But there's this thing that's been in your heart for years. There's this, there's this area of your life that the financial resources just can't touch. Why don't you, from a pure motive, build a special room for God to move in your life? Why don't you elevate his purposes in your life even higher? Do something great for God. Take a step of faith and an action step to say, God, I love you. You have blessed me. Now let me do this from a pure heart, a pure motive. I love how the widow woman who has nothing in Scripture is right next to the wealthy woman who has everything. The person who can give $500,000 is no more significant than the one who can't give five. God sees the widow and the wealthy at the same time. And to God, they're both in need. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome how God sees us all in our own situation, our unique personalities and makeups? And he sees where we're lacking in any area of our life. So I would say to you this morning, where are you lacking? What lack do you have in your life? What, what is it in your life that, that you just don't have what it takes? You don't have the resources necessary. Is it financial? Do you look at your, your bank statement at the end of the month and there's more red than black? And you just feel like nothing is in your pantry. You've looked in your house and you got nothing. If you need to go to God, own up to the situation, the reality of it. See if your perspective could get tweaked a little bit. 
and then activate the faith. Make a plan, a God-inspired, God-ordained plan, and watch and see if God doesn't fill your jar with oil. That might look like something as, as boring and unspiritual as making a budget and sticking to it and working it. Honey, this is our, this is our jar. We're going to work our jar. Might be that. Might be that. Your jar might look like, okay, for 90 days we are going, we're going to tie. We're going to lay our jar before the Lord. We're going to believe that he's going to fill it with oil. Might look like that. I can't tell you what it's going to look like. You might be in the other situation too. A longing and a desire that you have to know God on a different level or to do something incredible and great for God and a dream or a desire that you've always wanted to see happen. I mean, you might be childless. You want to, you, you feel that mother, that father instinct calling out to you, that calling from God, and you say, God, I want a baby. Happen for this woman, it can happen for you. If you find yourself in that position, why don't you build a room for God? Why don't you elevate his purposes high in your life? Make room for him to do the miraculous for you. I believe it will. I have no, no doubt tonight. I know that sounds odd. I believe God is faithful. When we dig ditches, he sends water to fill them. When we have empty jars laid out, he provides the oil. So I would ask you this morning, what do you lack? What do you lack? willing to find some jars? Are you willing to make a plan? Are you willing to listen to God and do what he says? Whatever that looks like. You might be the widow or you might be the wealthy. But to God, you're still in need. And he has what you need. Let's bow our heads as Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.